The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So it's very nice when we can come together as a community because it really brings energy, doesn't it? And that's the idea of Vesak, is to bring energy, to bring inspiration to us, to revitalise our practice, isn't it? To remember, you know, the great uh, gift we received from the Buddha. And this is what Vesak is really for us, what it's doing for us, is really to, to, to bring up that energy. But of course, first of all, to... Uh, for those who are probably not so familiar with the term Vesak, what does the Vesak commemorate? I think most people here will know. Yes, the Lord Buddha's birth, enlightenment or awakening, and his passing away, yes. It's very economic that it all happened <laughs> in the full, full moon. I don't know if that was really the case, but anyway, this is how it, is, how is it, how it has occurred. And for an awakened one, somebody who has awakened to the nature of reality, passing away on the same day or passing away in the same month is not a difficult thing to do. But uh, all these things seem to be celebrated in, on the full moon of Vesak. And uh, this full moon is, of course, we calculate the Buddhist year from the Buddha's Parinibbana, usually. So in Sri Lanka, this will be the, uh, the Vesak uh, the 2,566 Vesak since the Buddha passed away. But really, we should count Vesak from when he became awakened, because that's when he became the, the, uh, the Buddha, when he became the Lord Buddha, when he became a Samasam Buddha, when he taught the world. And so it's a, it really, that's an extra 45 years we could add. And I remember Ajahn Brahm making that point too. So I think for all of us, the most significant uh, event in the Lord Buddha's life, of course, is his awakening, his awakening. When the, the Lord Buddha was born, of course, he wasn't a, a noble one. He wasn't a Buddha. He was on the path to become a Buddha. We call a bodhisattva, a being bound for, bound for enlightenment. But it's always good to remember when we reflect on the, the Buddha and the Buddha's life that he was a human being. Very often in Buddhism we can elevate the Buddha and he certainly was a very elevated uh, being, extraordinary being. But he started life as a human being and he reached the pinnacle of human poten uh, the potential of all beings, not just humans, of uh, devas, heavenly beings, of gods, of whatever. All beings, he reached the pinnacle through his enlightenment experience, through his awakening. And this is what really is extraordinary. This is what took him beyond the human, in a sense. But the Buddha's life is an example for us. That's the whole point. It's not uh, something that we, uh, it's something that should inspire us to practice. And that's the point of the Buddha's life. If we elevate him too much, <laughs> then, of course, we may think, well, I can't do that. But we can all follow the example and be inspired by the Buddha's life. And I like, uh, during uh, Ajahn Brahmali's retreat, when he was here, uh, not so long ago, actually, the beginning of April, he finished the retreat, and he said, the Buddha is still speaking to us now. I thought, wow, that's great. 
And Buddha is still speaking to us now. And what is he speaking to us through? What do you think? The Dhamma. And he, of course, was emphasizing the suttas, or in Sri Lanka they say sutras, because this is, we say, word of the Buddha. This is where he's speaking to us. And this is his compassion that he gave that teaching for us, which is still uh, still available for us. So that's the amazing thing with the Buddha. And one of the things that is very obvious with Vesak, is Vesak, one of the big features of Vesak is light, isn't it? Light. <laughs> So it reminds me of uh, um, what the Buddha said about the arising of a Buddha. And it's good to remember that the, our Buddha, the Buddha we have in our time, um, uh, Gotama, the Gotama Buddha, is, is actually one of a series of Buddhas. And the Buddha mentioned that there were seven Buddhas in all that he, he mentions. And of course in Sri Lanka, how many do we mention? 28. <laughs> Somehow there's a few more that have been added. I'm not sure where they came from, but the point is, of course, that the rising of Buddha will happen from time to time. Uh, somebody actually uh, asked me a question last week at Newbury, and they said, is the rising of a Buddha an anomaly? Isn't that interesting? An anomaly, that means uh, something that's, uh, that is, um, uh, what do you say, a mistake almost. And I said, well, no, I think it's a natural, a natural process that beings from time to time will realize what the nature of reality is. They'll have the purity of mind, they'll have the ability to focus their minds, they'll have samadhi, and to see things as they truly are. And that will happen uh, periodically because reality is always going to be reality. It's always going to be impermanence, it's always going to be unsatisfactoriness and non-self, anicca, dukkha, anatta. It'll always be that. And that's what the Buddha said, whether a Buddha arises or not, this will be the case. But the Buddha's words about uh, his, the arising of a Buddha, and he says, but monks, when a, a Buddha arises in the world, an arahant, a perfectly enlightened one, then there is the manifestation of great light and radiance. Then no blinding darkness prevails, no dense mass of darkness. Then there is the explaining, teaching, proclaiming, establishing, disclosing, analyzing and elucidating of the Four Noble Truths. (laughs) And of course this is the central teaching of the Buddha, isn't it? The Four Noble Truths. And it's the teaching that he has given us. And... Often people, you know, we hear this, don't you, again and again, Buddhism is so pessimistic, it's all about suffering, isn't it? If it were all about, only about suffering, that would be very pessimistic, that would be very unfortunate, because many of us know that life has its difficulties and its problems. But the Buddha, the point of a, the Lord Buddha's teaching is to show us a way out of that, the ending of suffering. That is the point. And of course, the ending of any difficulty, any suffering in our life is happiness. We feel great happiness and also feel a lot of thanks to the person who's pointed out that path to us. So that's the, that is more the purpose of the, the Buddha's teaching, is actually the way out of suffering, the way to end our problems, the way to resolve the difficulties in life. So this Vesak, 
um, is always about light. And uh, we have the Vesak lanterns in Sri Lanka. Have you saw, seen the Vesak lanterns around? I don't think they've got lights in them. <laughs> I don't think so. But in Sri Lanka they do. And of course, uh, in traditional Buddhist countries, I, I really only know Sri Lanka. It's incredible, the amount of lights. and It's a beautiful time of you know, many decorations. And um, it's a time when people um, also offer free food. We have uh, dun sellers. They have these free food that they offer to people. They have performances too, you know, of singing and also sort of uh, Jataka stories uh, are enacted, things like that. And I still remember being on a bus in Sri Lanka and there was a barrier came down on the road. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's this? You know, we were being stopped for something. And what was it? What were we being stopped for? A dana sala, a free food area that was along the road. So everybody got off the bus and had something to eat and then back onto the bus and then went on. So it's a very, yeah, very wonderful time. It's a celebratory time, but a time of doing these sorts of things. And this light of Vesak, you know, it's not only the light of the Buddha's awakening, that experience of awakening, but also the wisdom that he awakened to. So when you go out, you have, have a look at the Vesak lanterns because the teens group, I think it was the teens group, if I'm right, have made all the Vesak lanterns. And this is another thing when, when you have a, a celebration like Vesak, people working together to make lanterns. And, and uh, in Sri Lanka, they make very big um, panels which depict the Buddha's life, you know, his past lives and this life. And they're incredibly beautiful and a lot of work, lots of people. Uh, working together. So, of course, as I mentioned, the, the Buddha's teaching is really about ending suffering, ending suffering. That's the whole point of it. And uh, the Buddha mentions that there are two darts that we are all afflicted by, we all experience. Dart is a bit like an arrow, and um, one dart is this body. And when you get older, like myself, you realize, yeah, it's quite a dart, actually. <laughs> it's quite a lot of, it gives, it's troublesome. <laughs> and uh, one of the monks I know, uh, Ajahn Jagra, used to say, have body, will trouble. <laughs> it's true. When you're young, you think, what are they talking about? <laughs> but the second dart, and this is actually bigger for most people, is the mind. And the mental suffering that people can experience is just extraordinary. And the mental, this mental suffering, of course, is coming from not understanding the nature of reality, that it's always going to be um, impermanent, it's going to be unsatisfactory. And these things that we take as me and mine, this body and the, mi and the mind, are actually a process. They're not a self. They're not a, we have got a character, we've got a personality, for sure. But... We don't, that's not permanent. It's not going to stay the same forever. We're not going to have the same character, the same personality forever. And that is just a process. And this is what we were chanting. If I doubt that you had time to read the English while you were chanting. Good luck if you did. And, uh, but the English is, first of all, the first part of it is explaining how suffering arises. This is what the Buddha realized soon after his enlightenment, reflecting on Paticca-samapada, they call it, dependent origination. Dependent origination of what? Suffering, how this comes into our life, all these problems, how they come about. And of course, he's talking, the, 
the, the so 12 links, isn't there? The 12 links. But the main, uh, the main point of the suffering is it's coming from our ignorance, not knowing the nature of reality, and therefore uh, creating, as it were, because of that, the consequences are, the process will give rise to suffering. But one of the big components of dependent origination, of course, is ignorance. We call that the beginning. That is what actually feeds the whole process. And then the, the other big link is craving or wanting. Because naturally we all experience life. We see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think about things. And because of that, we get a feeling. And the feeling can be pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. Pleasant, we want to go for it. <laughs> we want more of it. We want to repeat it, whether it's a nice video, a nice uh, music we've heard, or, or uh, a book we've read, or any, any experience through the five senses and the mind as well. And so we, we want it, and then we cling to it. And this is where the, uh, the, the sequence, where, a lot, where the suffering is generated from, this tanha, this wanting. So the second part, and this is the good news, is the, the aspect of ending of, uh, ending of suffering. And of course, how does that end? Naturally. It ends when we understand things as they truly are. When we see reality, then, of course, all the sequence, all the links up to wanting and uh, craving, they end little by little. And so then craving ends. And that, then the whole cycle of being born again and again ends. I say this, and this is called uh, bhavaniroda, the end of taking rebirth. Most people don't want to end it yet. <laughs> they say, not yet, <laughs> not yet. And it won't happen uh, accidentally. It will happen when we see the nature of uh, reality, and then uh, it, can, it will happen very naturally. So this is what we chanted. And of course, just like to uh, reflect briefly on the, the things, uh, the purpose of Vesak, because that's uh, what we're here for today. And the first thing, of course, is, as I mentioned, inspiration, you know, to be inspired, to re-inspire ourselves in our practice so that we get energy to practice, so that we develop more faith to practice. And this, this will help us in our lives to really put our heart into, you say heart and soul, don't you? <laughs> we don't usually say soul, and, but heart and soul into the practice. You know, see the importance of it. Because in, at the end of the day, isn't it, the world we experience, where is it coming from? It's coming from our minds, actually. The world, there is a real world out there, but the way we picture it, the way we perceive it, the way we uh, uh, view it is coming from each and every one of us. And so it's not exactly the same world. But if we develop good qualities, if we develop um, uh, these uh, wisdom in our mind, then that world will be of a similar quality. It will be, as Ajahn Brahm often calls it, it's like the beauty parlor. This is what reconditioning our world, um, our minds is like. It's changing the way we see the world, see ourselves and see the world. So this is the uh, purpose of inspiring ourselves 
And usually we remember the qualities of the Buddha. And I think everybody knows, uh, many of the people here will know the Itipisos. Um, and that is a list of the qualities of the Buddha. And they are very, um, they are good to reflect on. And we chanted them, didn't we, this morning, the Itipiso. So this is, you know, the qualities like that, that this is sama, the Buddha is a sama sambuddho, he's an arahant, um, vija charana sampano, he's endowed with, um, uh, we say, knowledge and conduct, those sorts of things. So these are all very good to reflect on, um, Buddha Nosati. One of the ones that I, I actually focused on myself for this Vesak was knower of the world. This is the translation from Ajahn Sajad, knower of the world. And usually people think of the three worlds, don't they, Tiloka, you know, the, uh, the, the, the world of the senses, the world of the Rupa, Rupa uh, Loka we call it, this is the world of the Devas, Brahma beings, and then the Arupa Loka, the, the beings that are um, uh, without form, without form. But in actual fact, I think a more easier view of knower of the world is just knowing how the nature of the world is. You know, what we're seeing here and now, you know, with Sri Lanka, with the current uh, chaos and uh, um, uh, that's happening in, in Sri Lanka and uh, the problems in the Ukraine and elsewhere. This is the world that we experience. And it's the world that the Buddha knew too. He knew uh, all those problems of war, of unrest um, in countries, in the countries. And he saw many of these things that we saw. And he says in the Sutta Napata, this was one of the things that really gave him energy to practice, seeing how fear leads to violence and how there's always this fighting going on and that there is no safe place in the world. And that really inspired him to look for uh, something beyond that, which of course is the realization of Nibbana. And usually we talk about the Buddha um, looking for a way beyond old age sickness and death. That is actually the key things. But this... this uh, um, text, this sutta from the Sutta Nipata mentions violence, how violence comes up and fighting and all this. And then the Buddha, the Buddha to be, reflecting, there must be a way out of this. So these are very uh, important things when we reflect on, on the, the, the Buddha and what he has given us, that he is a teacher of humans and devas, that's a quality of the Buddha. Because without that teaching, uh, we would not be inspired to practice, and this is the uh, and we haven't got that. We wouldn't have that guidance. We wouldn't have that path. What has he taught us? The noble eightfold path for us to practice. So, and also he is the. This is the Ajahn Sajata's translation. Supreme guide for those who wish to train. Now, training is a different thing from being inspired by teaching. It's actually undertaking the training that reduces our negative qualities. And this is not easy <laughs> because uh, these negative qualities are what cause a lot of our, cause our problems actually, cause the difficulties in our lives and with the lives of others as well. So 
It's very important to remember the Buddha's qualities, but I would like to encourage each and every one of us to not only think of the qualities mentioned in the Iti Piso, you know, which we just chanted, but also the qualities that are important for you. You know, there each of us will have the qualities that we feel we about the Buddha, and to focus on those because they will really will really connect with those qualities that uh, of the Buddha, whether it be things like his enormous compassion, karuna, um, and wisdom. To a certain extent, that's covered by um, when we say vija, charana, sampano. But uh, there are other qualities that that may occur to us. And of course, one of the things that's a very um, uh, important cons- uh, reflection is for those who weren't born Buddhist, those that became Buddhists in this lifetime, just to ask, well, what inspired us to become Buddhists? You know, it has to be something related to the Buddha. Why did we, and the Buddha's teaching? So this is something we can reflect on. And, you know, for um, monks and nuns, I often, I was just last week giving a talk to the nuns and a few days ago and saying how good it is for us to reflect on why we became monks and nuns, to remember that, to get that, to connect with that inspiration, because that's energy, isn't it? That is our energy. But the main focus, the uh, other way uh, we the other purpose of Vesak really is to make offerings to the Buddha. And uh, usually we do a lot of um, uh, offering of material things. Uh, that's uh, very common. We've got the candles here, lots of flowers. We don't have, I don't think we have any incense. We generally <laughs> generally don't. And uh, when we uh, do the circumambulation, Circumambulation. It's quite a word, isn't it, really? <laughs> it's a funny word. Only Buddhist, I think. Um, when we do that, of course, we can offer flowers and incense as well. And these, these things are um, important. Uh, um, they kind of have an important uh, influence on us because they can bring up a lot of faith. They can bring up a warm feeling of faith. This emotion of faith or confidence or conviction. So it's, uh, this um, we call it a misa puja. This is offering material things. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we go a bit further than that. <laughs> and of course, uh, one I remember last year listening to a talk by Ajahn Brahm and I think this, this really, I connected with this very much. It was a talk called Giving Freely. And um, in that, he mentions how he likes, when he's doing his meditation, he likes to offer the meditation, before he starts the meditation, to the Buddha or to his teacher, Ajahn Chah. And he says how much joy, how much thanks, how much energy he can get from that. And that's the whole purpose of Vesak too, is really how we can use it for our developing our minds, developing our meditation, developing good qualities. Um, so if we have that same idea of offering, you know, our, not only our meditation, but our practice to the Buddha, that is much, much more um, in line with the Buddha's, what the Buddha was encouraging us to do. And it will bring up a lot of joy and gratitude and inspiration as well, offering our practice of the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha, like every teacher, <laughs> is very happy when his students 
practice or have benefit from what they've taught. Every teacher is like that, aren't they? They really feel that, yes, it's worthwhile. <laughs> and of course, for the, the Buddha, he realized that some beings would be able to really go deeply for it, but many other beings would be able to get benefit from it, from his teaching. So this is what we can offer to the Buddha on a day like today, is our practice. And the Buddha did say that, uh, he said, you know, if we, if we offer our practice of practicing properly, practicing the Noble Eightfold Path, this is the best way that we honor a Buddha. Um, uh, and so we can do that. And so, it, of course, it brings up, um, and this is, of course, offering, offering practice is, is very important for us. And uh, I was going to mention some, story, uh, some verses from the Buddha. I might I'll read them anyway, because you'll get the point straight away, I think. And this is from the Dhammapada, famous collection of verses Buddhist of, of, of the Buddha. And this one's from flowers, and it's called, Like a beautiful flower, full of color, but without fragrance. Even so, fruitless are the fair words of one who does not practice them. And so that's, that is somebody who doesn't practice what they preach. That, for instance, they may know a lot of the teachings, but they don't practice, practice what they know. It's really amazing. I find it extraordinary that people can know a lot about Buddhism and not practice it. You know, because they're not getting the benefit from it, which is extraordinary to me, actually. So, and um, and then the next verse, of course, this is the positive side. Or like a beautiful flower, full of color and also fragrant, even so fruitful are the fair words of one who practices them. So this is what we are doing today, is... We're offering these flowers. There may be some physical flowers, but also offering the flowers of our practice. And so may they be not only beautiful, but fragrant, because fragrant from practice. And of course, it, people will ask, well, what is the, this practice that we're offering to, to the Lord Buddha? And of course, it's our practice of the Noble Eightfold Path. And it's important to emphasize, you know, sometimes with the practice of Buddhism, people think they have to be perfect. <laughs> we won't be perfect. So not to give ourselves a hard time and feel discouraged when we fail, when we, we don't succeed in, say, keeping the precepts, when we aren't as generous as we would like to be, when we have negative states of mind, when we say things that are negative or do things that are negative. At least we have got the compass of the Buddha's teaching. We know the direction to go in, and we know, and we will return. We know we'll return to the north following the, the path of the Buddha, following the Noble Eightfold Path. So, of course, as I mentioned, we practice by practicing dana, and uh, that's giving and sharing. And this, is, this is part of the practice. Sometimes people think practice is only meditation. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's practicing giving. And this is really can be a very positive, wholesome emotion for us when we give wholeheartedly. You know, then this is, as it were, purifying the mind in a way, just by giving. And we can use it in our meditation practice when we reflect on all the giving we've done and the sharing. And you see the result of giving and sharing too. When we give and share, it's almost contagious. 
<laughs> people, it encourages others to give and share. And that's something that's quite wonderful to see. And of course, one of the other big areas of our practice, main areas of our practice, is of course morality or ethical uh, conduct. That's so, so important. For us, it leads to a very a peaceful life with less problems and turmoil. I say if people want an interesting life, uh, then break the five precepts. <laughs> They'll have lots of drama in their life. I say like a teledrama. So, but, so, and, on, and the other side, of course, of keeping the precepts is what a gift to other people. You know, they can trust us. Uh, they don't have to feel fearful. We reduce their anxiety and worry. They can trust our words. They trust that we won't steal. We won't take their partner. We won't kill them <laughs> or harm them. That's a pretty good. And also that we won't take alcohol and drugs that cloud the mind. So they, that's the ethical conduct. But of course, the other aspect, uh, next aspect is a course, developing the mind. We call it bhavana, is often called bhavana. This is cultivation, developing the mind in wholesome states, good states, and reducing our negative states. So this is something we, you know, of course in meditation, this is one of the uh, main activities we do as Buddhists, but 24-7 we can develop good qualities. With the people we meet, at home, very important, at home with the family, with the, in the relationships we find ourselves in, at work, wherever. And we take this mind with us, as I said, 24-7. So this is where we can develop good qualities and reduce the negative ones uh, so that um, when we sit in meditation, the mind is in a very good state. And then when we meditate too, when we develop mindfulness, the mind will calm down the mind will come together more, the uh, negative qualities in the mind will reduce, and we are reconditioning the mind, that's the point actually, taking it in a different direction that we can take into our daily life too. And then of course if the mind comes together in samadhi, if it come, becomes one-pointed, it can really, it, we can really experience a lot of happiness, inner happiness and peace in that experience. And it can give us the clarity and the purity of mind that will allow us to see things as they truly are. So these, these are some of the things that we are offering to the Buddha today. And um, it's, as I mentioned, you know, it's good that we, we, we reflect. Sometimes we can think of the good qualities we've developed when we are offering it to the Buddha. But uh, sometimes we can think of our negative qualities that are reduced. That can be another way. Because sometimes if you say to people, well, think of your good qualities. They go, well, mm. <laughs> they can't think of them. But if they can think of, if you say, well, think of the negative qualities you are aware of and see if they're reduced by your practice. That's another way to gauge it too. So this is what we are offering to the Buddha and also our wisdom and understanding that we've developed from practicing it, because this is our wisdom then, but also from listening to uh, Dhamma talks, from reading the word Buddha, that's very important actually, and then reflecting on it. Because the whole of Buddhism, isn't it, is about reflecting, understanding for ourselves. As I often say, the Buddha's understanding was his understanding, not ours. <laughs> So on this Vesak day, I hope uh, you 
when we're going around doing the circumambulation, when we're offering the flowers, we can also, in our minds, offer all the good qualities we've developed because of our contact with the Buddha's teaching, our understanding of the Buddhist teachings, all the wisdom that we've developed, all the negative qualities we've reduced. And, and that way, this is a real offering to the Buddha. The, uh, the uh, material thing's good, good, but if we practice even better, then that's not only offering to the Buddha, it's an offering to everyone. We become a better person. And uh, this is what the world needs, <laughs> definitely at this stage. So I'd like to uh, finish there just by encouraging us to, uh, to do this today with Vesak, you know, to uh, offer all, these, all the, our practice to it and to feel a recommitment, a rededication to the path of the Noble Eightfold Path. Because sometimes we can get discouraged and uh, think, I can't do it. <laughs> but when we get this inspiration, we get this energy, we get this faith, then it leads to uh, energy, virya, and it leads to, the Buddha mentioned, sati. We can apply our minds, not only to meditation, but we can be aware of what's going on in our lives. And then we can develop samadhi and then wisdom. So this is what we, we do today, we can do today, is rededicate our lives to the practice, realizing that this really is what makes the, makes a big difference to our life. This is what we can take with us from this life, our good karma, and we also take our bad karma, karma of course, too. But this, these things we can take with us. We can't take anything material with us. But what we, how we've developed the mind, how we, the good qualities we've developed, those things, as the consciousness moves on, moment by moment, we can take with us. So they, they are worthwhile taking with us to another life. So, in order to keep with the time, now I'd better finish, and if there are any comments, questions or complaints, <laughs> before we do the uh, circumambulation, probably we'll have five minutes at least, I think. So anybody from the floor, as they say, sounds like parliament, There we are. Oh, it's good. That's good. There we are. So if anybody has a question, please. Do, do you want to come up or...? No, I just you. All right. I just to say that that was a very beautiful talk. Oh, thank you, Cora. Thank you. Yes. No question arises. <laughs> oh, wow. That's... That's good. Thank you for that. Thanks for that feedback. Yes. Because that's, that's the purpose of uh, the talk and Vesak is to really inspire ourselves, you know, to to get this fuel of inspiration. So, any online questions? No, I thought we should be prepared for the online audience. Oh, right. Hence there's, yeah, yeah. No, that's very good. In that case, we're finishing on time.
Yeah, no, that's that's very good. So I hope that today you make the most of Vesak today, and also you join us next week for Vesak again. We're having, in fact, we're having uh, three Vesaks, the BSV and MBM, the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, because we're having today, um, uh, we'll be having a a Vesak celebration after the lunch dana there. They'll be having one there today. And also next Sunday will be the main Vesak, you know, with Ajahn Brahm. So please come to Newbury if you can. There will be some buses, but I think they're pretty pretty booked up now, but welcome to come. And hopefully the weather is as good as today. We're really blessed. Often in Buddhist circles we say, oh, the devas, <laughs> they looked after, the, the divine beings looked after the weather. Certainly it's pretty, pretty good weather today, actually very nice. And perfect for a circumambulation, which we can uh, start uh, very soon. Circumambulation, of course, is a traditional way to uh, honour the Buddha honor, uh, by walking with our shoulder, right shoulder, towards the Buddha statue, or if the Buddha were here, uh, towards uh, right shoulder towards him. So we go around the building three times. And as we go around three times, we can... Um, do Namotasa if you wish. You don't have to chant, just to or contemplate the qualities of the Buddha, contemplate um, the offerings you're making of your practice. You know, of my of my giving, of my keeping the uh, the precepts, of my developing the mind, my understanding and wisdom. So as we go around, you're welcome to do the Namotasa. It's always good to have something like that. We often do the iti piso, but namotasa is uh, very easy too, so that would be shorter, isn't it? So the uh, sangha, Ajahn Sadra and myself, will be um, going first, and then you're welcome to join in, follow us. Um, I just mentioned too this afternoon the Dhamma School. They will be having a program too, the Dhamma School, Vesak program, at uh, two to three, aren't they, the children? So that's lovely. And... So um, they will be joining in the Vesak too. So that's lovely. So for everyone who would like to pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha, we can do so. And...